Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Today we're interviewing Mark Bukowski in the latest of our series of interviews with some of the most senior leaders in UK public relations. Mark Bukowski is one of the most high-profile PR guys in the UK. Born in 1959 in Gloucestershire, Mark is also an author with an interest in the history of public relations and the art of the publicity stunt. Mark began working in public relations at 19 years old. As founder and CEO of Bukowski, he is a well-known lecturer and speaker on the art of publicity. He had a column in The Guardian for many years and has written two books on the art of public relations and has won several awards for his work. Mark, welcome. Good afternoon, Ben. <laughs> it's always weird when you hear an introduction to yourself, isn't it? You, you, you're thinking, oh, my God, you know. Um, it's so difficult to uh, condense all those years uh, into a three-second intro. It's quite difficult, isn't it? Anyway, thank you for uh, doing your best. <laughs> I, hope I, I obviously missed lots out. Mark, you started your career in, in theatre public relations, which is an intriguing place to start. How did that come about? I think to start in public relations um, back when I did in the eighties, it, it was it, it was a time when I don't think the the craft was truly defined, and and certainly not in entertainment. I think that um, in the entertainment world, particularly theatre, um, you built it and expected people to come. Um, you you created something, and then you waited for the critics to arrive, and hopefully they liked it, and the rest would be. Um, you know, a packed house. And of course, it didn't work like that. And uh, I'd sort of screwed up um, the idea of either becoming a, a town and country planner or a, or a teacher of history. I think those were my, my, my dreams, although I love the arts. And uh, my father died, um, you know, when I was 18. And being an only child, I, I, I quickly realized I had some growing up to do. And uh, before I, you know, it, before I decided to retake this dismal failure, um, I, I, I thought I'd do some work, and I ended up sort of working in a in a, in a bacon factory, on the marketing side. It was. I know, in those days, it was sort of like, I guess you'd call it an intern job. And I quickly learned that selling on the phone was something I was pretty good at. Um, but I loathed the job. I loathed the environment. And um, I sort of started to sort of become addicted to the bonuses, even in that short space of time I was there. And uh, God bless my, my long-deceased mother, who could see I was struggling and spotted um, an ad in a local newspaper, and it said trainee um, apprenticeship in in a, in a regional theatre up the road in Swindon. Um, I, you know, people say that Swindon has two things going for it: roundabouts and a football team. Um, I think Spike Milligan, who came to the theatre I worked in, um, said they don't bury their dead in Swindon; they prop them up in bus shelters. Um, and but it was a fantastic apprenticeship somehow because I had. Being involved with marketing, um, the theatre world particularly were now under the sort of guise of losing many of their regional grants and they needed to be more aggressive about how they got an audience in. And I guess that I came here with lots of sort of tricks about um, how to create, you know, tiny marketing campaigns. And uh, I, I, I quickly um, began to fall in love 
with theatre, which I never thought I'd be working in a theatre. I thought I would love being inside a theatre, watching what was happening on the stage. Never thought I could work there. Um, and I was sort of OK at it. And I then started to realise that one had to be a lot more aggressive about getting audiences. And one of the most, you know, one of the, the surefire ways is instead of waiting for a theatre critic to turn up for a regional production to give it a good review, why don't you actually start getting it get people writing about it um, and in those days it was a a theatre it was very very vibrant with lots of sort of West End shows that were on the road uh, one night stands and the likes of sort of Ken Dodd and whatever and um, I, I, I quickly got to know the local newspaper, local television, local radio and would just force people into interview situations and I looked one one really interesting thing that the the greater the publicity campaign that you did by using free media um you know targeting getting get well organized um that the shows would sell out and it, it, I, I got to know one thing that, that taught me some valuable lessons that, you know, and I guess we're now talking about the filter bubble. People in theatre then, uh, back in the 80s, you know, clearly had their filter bubble. They believed what they were doing was right. Um, but if you broke open that filter bubble to talk to people who didn't work in theatre, they'd give you an opinion of what was coming up. And the, 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 the best people who gave an opinion about productions and how well they were going to do and how hard you had to work on getting an audience in were the theatre cleaners. Um, <laughs> the theatre cleaners were people who lived in Swindon and whatever. And if you could channel stories, if you could get things talked about, if you could break up the idea of the next production coming in, build the stories into them, you would actually find people talking about it. And you then rapidly realise, and actually what I learnt then, was that the free media created word of mouth generating the biggest story possible more people would talk about it more people would hear about it and um, it was there I started first doing my stunts and scams and um, um, and I sort of I guess you'd call it fake news now really I mean I never did it for any anything other than sort of getting an audience into a theatre but I, I was pretty good at coming up with crazy ideas and great stories that were filtered out um, amongst the community. Like what? Oh, uh, well, there was... Uh, I think one of them was the fact that... that um, I, I remember that um, we had a production of O Calcutta. Right. It was a touring production of O Calcutta, and it was a very benign sort of poster of a of a sort of artistic impression of a of a um a, of a of a woman's rear um but it was it was all done very tastefully and um i my, one of my jobs is actually making sure every outside advertising hoarding of the theater will have the posters up for the next show and i remember before i went home one night pacing up all these photos for the following week's show of El Calcutta and I came to work the next day and they were all gone I thought very curious, didn't think much about it thought it would be some vandals or whatever so um, I went out, paced them up again and just where I was leaving home there was this woman of a certain age in tweeds and the theatre had rooms you could rent and one that was used by the Marlborough Bridge Club and this woman ran the Marlborough Bridge Club and she was there at the edge of the auditorium, holding up this poster. And she was screaming, pornographer, pornographer. 
I thought, me? I'm not a pornographer. Disappeared. Went home that night and uh, came back to work the third day. And the box office, um, head of the box office called me and said, oh, the police want to see you. <laughs> and I said, what? said, yeah, the police want to see you. So you've got to go down to the local Nick. And the local Nick was literally across the theatre square. So I was sort of absolutely petrified. What I'd done wrong, you know. So I went to the desk sergeant. He said, oh, yes, Inspector Binns is looking after that. And uh, this guy came in and said, would you come into this room? And they went through a series of rooms and sat me down. And uh, we've had a complaint about you. I thought, well, you know, I was... 19 at the time I thought, well, that's a complaint about me um, for distributing uh, pornographic material and I said what and he pulled out this po- poster and this bloody woman had taken off the poster taken offence to it taken it to the police station and reported me and I said officer that's not pornographic he said oh no 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 I know it's not pornographic I just want to know whether or not we can get block booking for 30 seats <laughs> and I said okay and that was your clue well no, that was okay. so yeah. that made the front page yeah, of right. the newspaper and it sold out so sure. I quickly thought how many other stories so I've had you know I thought carrying the theme had the next poster banned and, and just did crazy stuff One and of course that another. got me noticed and then okay. you know you go to London so how long were you at this? I in did a pre- two years. So right. I was, so I was not there that two. Long no, two years. But I learnt a lot in those right. two years, and then I, I went to another theatre, and more or less did the same trick. Then quickly went freelance, and I was. I said I was doing a West End show by the time I was twenty three, twenty four. Wow. Okay. And I mean, I was. Well, but that's what I. That, I mean, I guess the point I wanted to make to Labour is the fact that. Yeah, Everything's different. Everything's the same. The, the big thing is how do you generate? What mechanism do you generate as a publicist, you know, to get people talking about your thing, be it a product or a theatre show? And the proximity of actually getting close, I believe in the crowd, the herd, the herd, the people, the people who now are supercharged around social media or whatever, nothing changed. You've got to get them talking. You've got to give them a story. You've got to give them a device to give a story. That never has changed. And you, you talked about... You know, being a disciple of you know the early practitioners and public relations, most of those sort of people were ideas merchants who got people talking. Sure. And but, but what was interesting was that the the herd, if you like, gave you your, the ideas for your story. You know, the, well, the cleaners. You, you know, they 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 gave, they gave you the clue of of how to make. Uh, put it was the, a proof the point. Story. I guess it was a realization that that in fact the the, the greater the publicity campaign, the easier it was to fill a theatre. Okay. Yeah. Fair point. So, um, go on then. Of all the stunts you've done over the years, which one are you most proud of? Um, gosh, I always say that you can't do some of the stuff I used to do, um, A, because of health and safety, B, legalities, and also perhaps some of the clients I activate now would, would look at it and would, would, would think I'm mad even to, to, to suggest it. Um, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I've, I, I've enjoyed involving famous people in stunts. And I think the, the one that, 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 that 
that actually was the most fun to do, apart from some of the crazy stuff I used to do in Edinburgh with circuses and whatever, was was possibly uh, one of my first shows, which was Treasure Island, which I won a... By then, there wasn't the sort of... The PR Week Awards at the time looked upon what I was doing as slightly sordid and struggled to give me an award, and it went into Best Promotional Activity. Um, but it was uh, it was Treasure Island, um, and it was a Christmas show. had an actor called Frank Windsor in it, and it was a traditional Treasure Island by, um, by Robert Louis Stevenson. And it was absolutely dying a death because I think there was a huge Christmas panto with a number of stars that were sucking its audience. So I came up with the idea that, in fact, we needed... They had a parrot, but Long John Silver had a parrot. So I said, let's do parrot auditions. So Shevdon had in the stage, and we invited everybody to bring their <laughs> parrots. So we had 40 parrots, and every national newspaper and every national news carried that story of the parrot edition. Fantastic. So we chose a parrot and I then had to get out of jail because we couldn't use his parrot. Um, So we didn't announce who won the parrot and then I'd met a journalist who'd heard about this and said, oh, you know, the James Hunt, the motor racing driver's got a parrot. I said, really? He said, yeah. So I wandered to Wimbledon, met James Hunt and I said, can I hire your parrot for Treasure Island? He said, sure. He said, but I've got some tax issues at the moment. I don't want to pay for it, but he had a massive budgie collection. He was a collector of budgies. He said, can you pay my budgie seed fee for a year? So I did. And in return, I got a parrot. So we announced that James Hunt's parrot was the star of the show. Another load of publicity. Why couldn't you use the original parrot? Um, Because, well, that's the point. I want to use it, but I just thought we can get a lot more out of this. So it wasn't, it was like... Yeah, so this is a plot. So um, then we had to fire the parrot. James Hunt's James parrot. James Hunt's parrot. OK. Because of this choice of language. So we announced that James Hunt's parrot won it, went into rehearsal, and <laughs> then we fired James Hunt's parrot. And he, he, he was available for press in between one of the Grand Prix. It went everywhere and the show sold out. And then the original parrot was unveiled ah. and he saved the day. So I, 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 what I think about what, great publicity stunts... Um, which I admire that are being around us all the time in this sort of in this age, and there's some great practitioners of it. I, you know, I'm a great fan of what Taylor Herring do and whatever. Um, is that you've got to keep it running? Yeah. If it, the, it, the one it, hit is doesn't. It's quite not work. enough because yeah. you know whoever was doing whoever had. I felt sorry yesterday when the infamous royal engagement was announced again. Um, and I just thought, I always think when something like that happens and you don't know it's coming out of the blue, everything is locked down, there's going to be hundreds of PR companies in different parts of the country on that day who had spent months and months on a launch, months and months on activity, yeah. was completely wiped out. So therefore, whatever you do, you've got to have a next, a next, yeah. a next to keep it running because it's a noisy world. And how do you cut above the noise? Because one moment it's there and it's gone. Sure. And people... So, be- I mean, you, you manage your risk, basically, don't you? By having a few different... You have to manage yeah. a mighty risk now yeah. because yeah. I think that um, 
you know, you, you're going to get sued if, sure. it's, if it's not through. And I've seen some at moment, I saw something last week that was put up by an ad agency um, for a client. And I said to the proprietor of this ad agency who we share this mutual client with, I said, if you do that, I said, you will not have an ad agency by the end of next week, you know, because it's just too disruptive. Mm. And it just seems that there is a permi- permission to do it. And there was a high watermark once upon a time of the Benetton stunt. What would Benetton do in those days? People have gone way beyond the Benetton yeah. mark and, you know, have done some it's- incredibly dangerous things. Red Bull, yeah. you know, are a great content entertainment soft drinks company in a but, sense. But you're right, for a while it was who can get this more extreme? Yeah. Um, and then Red Bull took it to, to a very extreme point where someone jumped out of space. So it, it kind of recalibrated a bit after that. But also you have... You have the crowd, the herd, who will tell you what they think now. Yeah. Um, which you didn't yeah. have that giant toilet wall um, and you didn't have trolls sort of attacking you, which, you know, brands have become very timid about because, yeah. you know, if you if you look at the paper chase issue um, and the Daily Mail and stop funding hate, I mean, that is just ridiculous that um, paper chase you know, decided to backtrack on that, you know, you know, from what is quite a small group of people now. So, sure. you know, effectively on social been... media can have a huge effect on your brand if you do something wrong. Yeah. So therefore, if you do some crazy stunt that doesn't work, it actually gives me magnified. You know, we've seen mistakes Dove have the, made recently. The, there's an upside, but there's a potential downside where, where, the poten- where there didn't used to be quite such a... I, yeah. I, there's, there, there's more lawyers around waiting to sue your ass, and there's a crowd with mobile phones and uh, keyboards that can tell you exactly what they think. Sure. I'm intrigued. You've you've never worked for one of the PR giants, have you? Um, has that been a deliberate, deliberate move? I mean, with your, with your CV, you must have had a few offers. No, never had an offer. Um, okay. I think my... When I was a freelance, I did some freelance work for some of the biggies, you know, because I was a... You know, I, you know, my re- media relations capacity was was in demand. But I've always been the only person I could ever work for was myself. Really, right. I don't, I don't think I'm. You know, I was a, you know, for for many years a, a, a pretty, uh, I had a pretty maverick approach to communications, and I think some of the big corporates just didn't really want that. That sort of that that was a bit too dangerous. We did operate. You know, quite a, quite a dangerous you know uh, agency that gradually attracted people because of that diet of work, but it, it couldn't have been done in house with a with a with a big agency. And I'm you know, and it's about size. And I, I always felt that I wanted to be surrounded with people who got me. Um, I was sort of very needy in that sense. And actually, going into an agency with a culture and an identity and a, you know, a, 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 a corporate journey thereon, injecting, you know, a maverick like me into the bloodstream is, 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 is not going to be good for the brand. OK. Do you think the... Uh, I'm always passionate or interested to talk to you about the, the interaction between PR people and journalists. Um, and one of the things we've talked about before is, is how that dynamic has changed over the years or whether it has changed. Um, do, do you feel it's changed? Oh, massively um you know it's i think it's i think we did event together um about a year ago it was a very interesting conversation where you know people you know i don't think people want to be called a publicist any longer i don't think that um i think one or two people choose to do that but i mean it's you know you're talking about a media that's decreasing it still punches above their weight. It doesn't have the circulation, but it still has the influence. Um, but I'm afraid the days walking here, I walk down past Fleet Street. I mean, 
you weren't in your office between the hours of 12 and 3 o'clock. You were meeting people. You could actually walk into newsrooms and talk to people. There wasn't some security issue there. Um, if it, there, was, there was meetings at the end of the day. It was a much more social interaction. So you could in- build relationships. Now, a journalist yeah. doesn't have the time to leave his, his desk at the moment. But, but you have relationships with some, some very influential journalists, don't you? And yeah, well, they're, they're my age. Okay. They've, they've come up through... So if you were doing together. it again now, could you do it? Did you, or do you think it would be very difficult to do? Um, no, I don't think it would be very difficult to do. I okay. think it's, it's... Nothing is difficult to do. It's about the application of your time. I think... Um, I look at people that uh, I employ. I, I want to kick them out of the office and go and meet people. I think, you know, the we're time compressed at the moment. We're addicted to our email. Mm. We're on call all the time. Um, and therefore, you know, time is squeezed. So therefore, we don't think we've got the time to meet people. We have and we should. And I don't, I'm not talking about a national newspaper journalist. I'm talking about... A blogger. I'm talking about you know an influencer on social media. Meet people, one to one people, you know. And I think where people can fire off a WhatsApp message or do a DM through Twitter or whatever, that is a form of communication that actually allows them to speed their idea. Some of ideas are very complex, and you need to sit down and talk through ideas of people and campaigns and crisis issues um, and they can't be you know they can't be tackled with a, with, with a tweet and no. you know but do you think journalists on the other side think the same because it the, I suspect the PRs want to get out there and meet but the journalists either don't I, have the time I, or don't want to I, I, I think they are <laughs> they are compressed. It's why more people who would possibly pursue a career in journalism now uh, sorry a group of people who, who pursue a career in PR now possibly would have considered a career in journalism 20 years ago. Sure. Um, so it's horses for courses, and I'm sure there are people who prefer to stay tied to their desk. And it, 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 you know, I would, I, you know, the big thing is never bore anybody, break your filter bubble, and think about what is interesting about what you do. Because unfortunately, some of the stuff doesn't have any real news value, and there's sure. other ways of actually starting to augment word of mouth around whatever you're trying to do. Okay. And I think a lot of journalists are frightened of actually being bored to death um, <laughs> by PRs. And uh, I'm often, we're often shown press releases that are sent. Um, to, 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 to journalists are just unbelievably poor in construction and also not fit for purpose for mm. somebody working on it. I mean, I get, I get press... And I've got a blog, and I had a blog before it was called a blog, but I get PR people sending me emails offering me their help mm. as PRs. So if, um, if someone doesn't do a simple Google, they might know who the... Yeah. I am. It doesn't really matter. But people don't do a simple Google that, in fact, offering me PR services is probably a bit of a waste of time. Not, not the way to go. Just a final couple of questions. You're a passionate observer, observer, I should say, of the public relations sector. How, how do you think we're doing? I think we're doing really, really well. I think there's some fantastic businesses out there. It's a lively uh, industry. Um, I, I do keep an eye on all the awards. And um, and I think there's some outstanding work being done. I think there's some great new companies always coming through. I think some of the big networks now um, are structured in such a way that they have more impact and power than the declining um, ad and media space. So I think it's a fantastic time. Both my kids are going into public relations. So, you know, I, I'd certainly... 
um, not discourage them to do that. It's up to, you know, so I think that, um, you know... You're excited for the future. I'm excited. I think it's a different future. I don't think it will match my career. I think that's what's exciting about it. You know, there's a lot more about data analytics and, you know, the way we integrate social, the the diminishing power of, of, of national newsprint and magazines. Um, how television will change, how content will be distributed, use of AI. All those things are fantastic opportunity for people to look at. So just as I'm very lucky still to be working and I still enjoy it, I can't retire, um, but I'm still as fascinated with the with the concept of how you capture people's imaginations, how you reach into their hearts and their heads and uh, get 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 people motivated in whatever they're trying to do and i think there are so many different uh you know avenues to 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 go through there it's it's a fantastic time to get your creative juices working and also you know where you're told all the time it's dif- dif- difficult for the millennials you know to foresee a career that that the boomers had. I, on the contrary, I just think there's a lot of people who will come up with solutions that will be worth a lot of money to be sold to big networks. Mark, I could talk all day, but we've come to the end of our time. Thank you very much. Sorry for boring you. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.